0: Well, we're, we're going to be continuing in the Ten Commandments. We're going to be on the Seventh Commandment. It's been a, quite a journey, right? Hope you've been enjoying it. I want to encourage you, if you have been, uh, following, you could continue to follow us on, you know, the YouTube, YouTube, <laughs> the YouTube. That sounds funny. You could follow us, uh, the, the sermons on YouTube, the podcast, uh, these different areas that you can get connected in to continually go in our study with the Ten Commandments. Because in the beginning, we talked about how the commandments, uh they point to what God expects in our life, but it also points to how God requires us to interact with him as well as each other. And it's really the basis of the foundation of our civilization. You know, when we talked about the first tablet, the first tablet is about Our relationship to God in the second tablet is about our relationship with each other. Jesus said that the two greatest commandments is is if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind and body and your neighbor as yourself. So as we've been discussing these specific commandments, we want to once again reiterate that these commandments are not something that you and I can keep 100 percent of the time. Amen. If you've been through any of these studies or read them on your own you can see that we pretty much fall short every day in these areas. Amen. But it's not there for us to strive to keep. It's there to show us our necessity for Christ. So once again, we've been kind of digging some ditches. (laughs) If you've been through these messages, kind of deals with some heavy topics. And tonight is no small topic. We're going to be talking about Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery and I just heard a gasp. (laughs) Yes. So, like I said, the Lord is going to help us to dissect what he is talking about, and I really believe that even though this subject is a touchy subject, I really believe you're going to be encouraged, and and I believe the light bulb is going to go off because we're going to bring out some things that I really think will help you in your daily life in living. Amen. We know that during the when God gave the Ten Commandments, God had just delivered the egypt the, the the Jewish people from the Egyptian bondage from the tyranny of of pharaoh and his and his army, and they were slaves in egypt, and God had totally de- devastated all of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped he He did an on an onslaught of attacks upon these False gods. And he brings the Jewish people to a mountain in Saudi Arabia. And this is where he gives the Ten Commandments. And if you could go back and read that, you would see that it was an amazing sight. I mean, if, when you read it, it's as if it, it just comes to life as you can picture the fire coming down and the smoke raising and, and just all of the different aspects that are described in the book of Exodus. But like we have talked about, the Ten Commandments is the schoolmaster, Paul said, to point us to Christ. Now throughout this message, we're going to see how marriage, because I really want to focus on the view of marriage, the biblical view of marriage. We'll see how it is a picture of Christ and the church, because this is the thing that I really feel throughout this message. I feel we need to enlarge our scope and see the bigger picture that our relationship with God will help us in our relationship with our spouse. Just as the Ten Commandments are there, the first tablet is our interaction with God, and our spouse will benefit when we love our neighbor. Amen? From then we will see what adultery is, and why it's so damaging whether we are married or unmarried. And Jesus also adds a deeper application of our hearts, of why this is such a big deal. He even revisits it in the tenth commandment. And we'll also see the applications as well as the type and shadow that shows us the future of an event just on the horizon. First, we need to understand the purpose of this commandment was to protect us as individuals and also protect our marriages and protect our civilization. In Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now notice when when god says this that this is before sin even entered into the picture so even in a perfect environment god still said it's not good that man should be alone this just goes to show us how much god values community how much god values companionship amen genesis 2:21-25 i want to give us the the view of marriage so the lord god caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. You see, Satan came in and corrupted that aspect, and it it has become something that is shameful today. Amen? Let's look at what Paul says about being a mystery, because I want you to see the Old Testament view of it, then I want you to see the picture or the mystery that we're going to talk about in Ephesians 5.21. It says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ." For wives this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord for a husband is head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church he is the savior of his body the church as the church submits to Christ so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything for wives this means you love for, for husbands this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean washed by the cleansing of God's word He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one who hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ for the church, and we are members of his body. Now watch what it says here. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united in one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So we see in the Old Testament, we see the purpose of marriage was to show a mystery that would come in the New Testament called the church. It was to display Christ's relationship to his church, but it was also for companionship and childbirth and child rearing and to the continuation of civilization. Now, Paul calls it a mystery because the Old Testament didn't talk about a church. But in the New Testament, it becomes very clear. Adam and Eve's relationship represented, represented the relationship with Christ and the church. And in marriage, husbands represent Christ and wives represent the church, just as we read in Ephesians 5.23. So the first point that I want to bring out here is the interconnectedness between the two. Now, as we talk about this, you can overlay marriage with the church. You can overlay Christ's relationship to the church with our relationship to each other. I believe the dots will begin to connect as we move through it. Amen? At least that's my prayer. (laughs) Interconnected. Marriage connects two people with love and commitment. Now listen, the emotions of love may vary in relationships, right? With our spouse. In other words, the staying up to two o'clock in the morning, just wanting to listen to them breathe might change as you move down the road in marriage. (laughs) But commitment is an act of the will. Commitment is the anchor that, that keeps marriage healthy. But so too is our relationship to Christ. Remember, Christ loved us while we were unlovable, right? But he was committed to carrying out the Father's will. His commitment drew us in and allowed us to experience his love, right? He was committed to carry it out and you and I are the benefit, beneficiaries of his grace. As the same way you and I that are in relationship with God, our spouse benefits from our ability to listen and react to the things that God wants us to do. Right. In other words, we don't not commit adultery because our wife or our husband deserves to not be committed adultery on. Right. It's not about, well, they do this. So therefore, I got to go and do my own thing. Right. That's not. The The view of marriage. Our view of marriage is we enter into a relationship with each other based on Christ, based on our commitment to Christ. That's why he is the foundation. He is the one when your wife or your husband is acting up and maybe they tell you something that you don't like or maybe they add too much mayonnaise to the potato salad and you want to take it out on them. Our relationship to Christ is what keeps us with the ability to apologize. I need forgiveness from the Lord. Therefore, I don't want my prayers hindered, right? Do we think that, that God looks at our relationship with, with our spouse and views our own personal relationship in that context and answers our prayers or not answers our prayers? I believe he does. I want to read it, this verse to you in Malachi 2.13 through 17 and it it's actually in the message translation and i i want to read it to you because you could camp out just in this verse this verse really spoke to me and really changed a lot i mean i i've viewed it before but never in the the way it's written here it says this in malachi chapter 2 13 through 17 you fill the place of worship with your whining and sniveling because you don't get what you want from god do you know why simple Because God was there as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride. And now you've broken those vows. Broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. Everybody say, help me, Lord. (laughs) And what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. I hate the violent dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. So watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. You make God tired with all your talk. How do we tire him out, you ask? By saying God loves sinners and sin alike. God loves all. Also by saying judgment, God's too nice to judge. How many of you ever read that in a that translation? That's the first time that I've seen it. And it, it's something, I mean, you can honestly read that and there's no like, I wonder what the Greek word, it just kind of plays itself out. But I know what probably caught your attention is the divorce part. And listen, God does not like divorce, but we know that there are things that happen. Sometimes these things are out of our control and there is grace for that. And that's for a, an entire different topic. But the point of, this, if you've dealt with divorce, if you've gone through divorce, I don't want you to beat yourself up. I don't want you to feel like a failure. I want to equip you as well as as equip our equip ourselves on how to view these things going forward. Amen. In 1 Peter 3 7, it says, Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. So this literally means if we are at art with our spouse, and we are praying about something, God will is literally saying, stop praying, go make it right with your husband or wife. Do we really believe this? Some people's, their prayers have not been answered in years because they're holding something against their spouse. Do you believe God would honor his word? So that's why it's always about pleasing God. God, I, I want to be in, in right fellowship and relationship and I want to be able to communicate. And God's always going to point us back to our relationship with our spouse because he is involved in that. And God knows that a healthy marriage, a together marriage benefits society. Amen. We are accountable to God and that will resonate from the first tablet to the second tablet as we've been discussing throughout these series of messages. But here's the thing. Adultery comes in like a wrecking ball and complicates, if not destroys, the family. And that's why it's so important. You see, we come together, we raise up our our kids, we have kids, but as well as, think about it now, bringing it to the context of the church, we should be raising up disciples as well, amen? We are to be getting the gospel out to our neighbor. Have you ever noticed within a marriage ceremony, there are two parts that I want you really to remember. There are two things that confirm this covenant. Number one, there's the vows that you give to your wife before God, before each other. There's the placing of the ring upon the 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 family, I mean, upon the, the husband and the wife, the exchange of rings, and there's also the legal documentation. But secondly, there is the sexual union that happens between a husband and wife. Now, do you know why the kiss is there? That seems to be awkward sometimes when you try to go into that area. It stands in proxy for that. I don't know if you knew that or not. But when people, you know, obviously, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go. don't want that in, in public. <laughs> You're not supposed to laugh there. Malachi 2.15, it says, Did he not make them one? with the portion of the spirit in their union. And what was God, what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. In other words, godly offspring comes out of the one flesh union of, this, of, the, of the marriage. So marriage by design was for the covenant union between man and woman, man and woman, to carry on civilization. And Jesus reminds us this in Matthew 19, 3 through 6. One of the Pharisees comes up to Jesus because they're always trying to trap him, right? He says, "Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause?" And he answered, because back then you could just divorce her for whatever reason. It's like, "Well, I'm going to divorce her because of this or that." And what Jesus is saying, he answered, "Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. You've heard that in marriage ceremonies before. But in the, what it's saying is because God joins them together spiritually, but they come together later on. They become the, it's called the consummation of the marriage, right? I'm just kind of giving us a little feedback. So, I mean, a little study on this. So we understand that God doesn't just consider when people have sex outside of marriage as a trite thing, right? There are soul ties and all these different aspects of it. So when we look at consummation, it's coming together, right? And I'm telling you this because we're going to get somewhere in the end and I want you to remember that word. Don't suck at adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Adultery is wrong in the New Testament as well in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, James. Second Peter, Romans, but it's more than just physically cheating on your spouse. Adultery before marriage is the joining of one flesh with different people. And what happens is you give away parts of yourself over a period of time. You, you know, when you think about this aspect, and I don't want it to get awkward because normally I talk about these things with just men and just women, but we're going to keep it where I think you'll be able to understand it. In the context of not getting into the guts of it, so to speak. But the same thing when our kids or our teenagers or see things online, it begins to desensitize them. And they don't be, they don't see the union between a husband and wife as it, as it should be. God created sexual activity after marriage for the purpose of enjoyment and repopulation, right? So we know that, but as, Kids and teenagers and young adults see these things, it begins to desensitize. It begins to awaken what is not supposed to be awakened before the time, as the Bible says. So I want to try to sum up adultery with two words coming from two verses. It says Mark in Mark 7:21, 23, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these things come with, come from within and they defile a person. So what you feed yourself with will begin to manifest in your life. Right? We, we all know that. It's it's a, it's a, it's an, it's a word that is used here for sexual immorality. It's the word pornea. And we know what that word means. It's literally sexual activity outside of marriage. That's the easy way for us to understand it, right? Jesus was forbidding those type of activities outside of the marriage bed. Now, when we look in Matthew 5, 27, verse 30, it says, You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Then he goes on to say, if you're right, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. And we know that 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 would be very grueling. But it, really, what it's telling you is, cut those provisions off, cut those those ways and those appetites off, because it can grow, right? Come on, y'all are quiet. Lustful intent in the Greek is the word epithumio, which means to desire, to covet, or to long for. So Jesus was saying this. This is how you re- this is how you remember it. For the purpose of lusting after someone. So when you see someone and they're beautiful or handsome, that's not a sin. When it it becomes epifumeo, it becomes adultery. Okay? So anything that you put before you, if you look at it and say, Why am I looking at this? Why am I staying in this vein? That gives you the answer to move on, right? The the issue is Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, because out of it flows the springs of life. Paul tells us to flee immorality in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 20. It says the body is not meant for sexual immorality. You know why? Because the more that that happens over and over outside of marriage, it begins to wear on you and tear you down, and beat you down emotionally, physically, all of these areas, right? In verse 16, it says, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? This is where we get the soul tie aspect. When you constantly have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and you sleep with this one, sleep with that one, sleep with this one, it becomes This thing that begins to wear on you, the guilt, the shame, right? All of these things. I'm talking to a room full of adults. We understand this, right? Then it says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So quickly noting some things from this verse. One, that our body was not meant for immorality of this sort. And also, flee. Listen, fleeing is easy. The desire to flee is the problem, right? Oh, look at the halos in here. No, seriously, think about it logically. Do you, the issue is if you are in a situation to flee immorality, but the desire to not be in that situation is the problem, right? The desire to not be in the room with the coworker is the problem. The pool that you want to go, right? The site that you want to go to that you know you shouldn't have. The heart must be positioned with the desire to flee, and that comes by filling up on the love and the joy of Christ. The desire to flee those things comes from being filled up with the presence of God. If we are not filled up with the presence of God, our flesh will take us 90 to nothing down the road of all sorts of sin and immorality. And every everyone of us, of us in here know that what I'm saying is 100% true. But the Bible says that God gives us a way of escape. Right? Look at what it says in Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In other words, cut off the thoughts and actions at the knees. Don't even give them a place to grow. Proverbs 5, 3 says, stay away from her. Don't even go near the door of the house. In other words, don't meet alone, right? Don't watch or listen to what's drumming up the thoughts or the visual stimulation. Don't put yourself in situations. Don't feed the opportunity of possibilities. I'm telling the truth tonight. Use filters on devices. Stay out of DMs on social media. Y'all know what that is, right? The younger, younger people do. In other words, don't side chat with people of the opposite sex that you could possibly have a relationship when you're in a relationship. That's basically what it's saying. And stay open and honest with your spouse. The accountability with God will translate into the accountability with your husband or your wife. Look at what it says in Romans 13, 14 in this version. Don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. In other words, don't let yourself in other words, if left to your own devices, you will begin to think on these things and it will drive your passions, right? Now let's look at uh, the cost of adultery. It ruins lives. Proverbs six twenty-seven and 29. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with a man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. Look at what it says in Proverbs 6.32. But a man who commits adultery is a fool. He destroys himself. He will be wounded and disgraced. His shame will never be erased. Think about these verses as you read them and you go through them. We're putting a lot on the line it damages your spouse it damages the one flesh closeness it destroys the family which is the building block of society it introduces distrust and skepticism and undue stress it brings spiritual and emotional and physical sickness to the family it will destroy and rip your finances apart it can result in bringing new children into the family and that becomes a a, a issue because you have you know, the opposite weekends and all these different things. It can further abortion by someone trying to sweep it under the rug and take an innocent life. This thing goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And it wrongly pictures the unfaithfulness of Christ and the church because Christ is faithful to the church. Now, I said all that to say to get to the bigger picture because I gave you application. I gave you some things to think about. But I believe if we frame this in a greater and bigger context, adultery becomes dwarfed in the presence of God. I said earlier, remember the word consummation. Now, this is from a Middle Eastern culture. We had a Sunday school class years ago, and we went through what it looked like during a Jewish marriage ceremony. And I want you to see this because this will help you understand that we are in relationship with Christ. It's not just some thought that we have, but it's literally the truth of God's word, right? In the Middle Eastern culture, you would have what is called the betrothal stage. And this is the stage where the bride is selected. In other words, the son would tell the father, father, I know who I want as my bride. Or maybe it would be arranged from a from, from the father or the mother's point of view. Marriage in Deuteronomy 24, 21 was considered t- the taking of the bride. Remember, Jesus took us and redeemed us. Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. The son would approach the woman and say whatever conversation they would have. And ultimately it would end with, let's meet at my father's house and let's discuss this relationship. If she accepts the meeting, she would give him his, give her his hand and they would set up the meeting to sit with the father. And at the father's house, they would, they would sit at a table and they would have a contract that would be set up. This is the formal aspect of the ceremony. We would see it as an engagement, but this is the first part of the actual wedding. This is where the price for the bride, believe it or not, is established. In other words, I'll give you goats and sheep or land for the for the price of the bride. This is how they conducted business in those days. But Jesus said you were bought with a price, right? You're going to see the overlay, and it's the most beautiful picture that you and I can ever see in the Bible. The marriage contract, which is called the ketubah, Is set before the bride. And in it, it says, this is what is expected. This is what you will inherit. This is the responsibilities that will take place within the marriage. Our contract is the ketubah, which is the word of God. It shows us how to live. It shows us the promises of God. Right? Now, the engagement of this part is legally binding. It binds the husband and the wife because she confesses him as her husband. Paul said, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Then they would drink from a silver cup, which is the cup of redemption, and they would sign the ketubah. Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this is the covenant in my blood. Drink it as often as you do in remembrance of me. Then he said he would not drink it again until his father's kingdom. Now, to help you understand that, remember Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph were betrothed. In other words, when she was found pregnant, Joseph thought, man, I might have to put her away with a certificate of divorce. For there to be a certificate of divorce, they had to already be married, but the Bible says that they knew not each other yet, which means they had not consummated the marriage. So that's biblical evidence how Jesus view, how God views marriage back then. And how it's a picture, because listen, you and I are still here today, right? The betrothal stage is called the time of preparation. You and I are betrothed as the church of Jesus Christ to Jesus. Then at the table, the husband gave gift to the bride to show him that he valued her. Remember, if you remember the story of Abraham and Eleazar to Rebecca, they loaded down 10 camels of gifts. Now, we know that the Bible says that we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, look what it says. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago in the Spirit. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he purchased his own people. Here's the application for this. When you feel convicted, right, when you feel the presence of God, that's the engagement ring reminding you that your home is in heaven. That's an amazing thought. When we when we think about conviction, we think like, oh, man, that's evidence. That's proof positive that we belong to the Lord. And then as well, he even gives us the nine gifts of the spirit. And we can operate in the gifts. Then this is what would happen. The bride would go into a mikvah and she would ceremonially wash. You know, that's a picture of baptism. She would wash to sanctify herself and to show that she is set apart. When we are baptized, we're giving open evidence that we are now a believer in Jesus. So remember, to recap, we're chosen. We have the word. The price has been paid. We're baptized in water. That sounds like the salvation experience to me. So then this is what happened. The son would tell the bride as well as the father, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come back, and I'll get you when my father says the place is ready. You know who else said that? Jesus. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come and receive you unto myself. Then this is what she does. She begins to consecrate herself. She wears a veil signifying to everybody that I'm taken, I'm changed, I belong to someone. And she sets herself apart, and her part is to remain pure and faithful. We are to stay away from the vices of the world. Hence, we stay pure from adultery and the things of that nature. You see how that is a perfect picture. When you see it in a bigger context, it makes adultery seem like such a small thing. But here's another aspect of it. The bridesmaids were the ten virgins, and this is what their job was. They would come around the bride, and they would encourage her. You know, there, it could be up to 12 months before she saw her, her husband. And sometimes in the waiting, maybe she got discouraged, right? Maybe she got worried. I haven't heard from him. Does he still love me? Is his word still true? I don't sense him. I don't see him. Hence, you and I have a church, a community of people. We have life groups. We have people that can come alongside and encourage us as we await the Lord's return. The the job of the bridesmaids were to keep their oil lamps lit. And remember, if you remember the story, there were there were ten. Five of them did not have their oil, and they wanted to go out and buy it at the last minute when the when the groom came. Now here's the aspect that is right on the horizon. He would come with his father's permission. When the father said, This hoopah is what it was called, that's built on the house, is good. Go get your bride. Many times they would come secretly and unannounced, sometimes in the middle of the night. The father of the groom determined the day and the time that the husband can get the bride. Jesus said, we don't know the day nor the hour, only my father in heaven. When you understand this, you're seeing that he's teaching something that we can understand today. In Matthew 25, it talks about the bridesmaids. You can read that in Matthew 25, 6 through 13. There were some that were not ready. My question to you and I tonight are there some in here that are not ready to meet the Lord? The groom would sin for her. And this is what I want to tell you. Remember, I tell you to remember that word, consummation. This is the consummation aspect of our relationship. She would be carried in a, a pirion, which is. Uh, like a big box thing and they would carry her to this, this ceremony. We will be carried on clouds at the trump of God when the dead in Christ shall rise and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to be with them in the clouds. See, when you understand this, you realize that this is the, the beautiful aspect of it. We go away into a special place in heaven. While there's the seven year tribulation, there's this time of consummation that takes place which is the marriage supper of the lamb we are we go and we consummate our relationship and that's not the sexual activity that's the glorification where we become one the bible says that we will see him just as we are seen right what which means we will have our glorified body our justification our sanctification that we're dealing with and then finally our glorification this is the three aspects of our salvation Experience. And this is what the, the husband and wife would do. They would go and consummate their marriage for seven days. There's a lot going on during that seven days. But then they would come out and celebrate with the wedding party and the, and the people that came. This is why Jesus would be at a wedding ceremony and they ran out of wine because it would have probably been a week long. So when we understand that, we have the taking of the bride, the bringing of the bride, right? And so when we go into heaven, we are brought to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the Bible says, I would not drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink with you in my Father's kingdom. Now here's the catcher or the clincher. For a few days prior to a week after the couple came out, they would be considered king and queen and they would not go in public without an escort. After the seven years, Jesus and the church comes back, escorted by angelic armies. And we come back and we rule and reign with Christ. The mystery here is the final glorification. So what I'm telling us is when we keep ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally pure, what we're doing is we're saying, I'm not living for this world. I'm not just being right to be right with my spouse or keep my heart right even if I'm not married, I'm single. You you might be single, but your faith is in the one who is coming. So you're keeping yourself pure for that day. So you, do you understand that is bigger than just our emotions and the things that we deal with? Look at what it says in 1 John 3.23 as we're about to close. It says, dear friends, we are already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And look at this verse. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And all who have this eager expectation keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Notice that. So having your hope in the Lord's return is a tool in the toolbox of our purity, in other words, we keep our eyes our ours focused that the Lord could return, and he could return at any moment he could return before this message is over with, and so in that great context is where we keep our eyes focused and eagerly awaiting, which will help us to stay pure. if we remember the story christ came as the second Adam. In other words, Christ redeemed all that we lost in the garden. Paul would take on this whole new meaning in this mystery when he describes the relationship with the church. Now, for those that are single, keep your eyes on Christ and wait for his return, but also keep your eyes pure, keep your heart pure, keep all of these areas out of the ditch, so to speak, so, when your spouse finally does come, you can not have guilt in all these different things attached to it, right? We all know what that's like. Listen, I wasn't born a Christian. I know the situations that we deal with, and many of you do as well. For those that are married, the question is, is your marriage and my marriage a good picture or portrait of Christ in the church? Or is it a distorted one? Look at the, Those that deal with the temptation. We all know that temptation is right before us. All you have to do is turn on the television. This is my advice. This is what I believe the Bible says. We fill ourselves, our minds with faith, hope, and obedience in the love of Christ. Right? The Bible says, wash ourselves with the water of the word. In other words, fill up. On the word of God. Fill up on the presence of God. Fill up in, in the worship of God. And if you struggle. His mercies are new. Every morning. I want you to understand something. The devil has a way of heaping condemnation. In this area. He makes you. Feel like you are the dirtiest thing. On the face of the earth. He tries to isolate you. Make you think that no one deals with this kind of stuff. And his. 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 What his desire is, is to beat you down. But I want to encourage you. If you don't quit, God won't quit. Right? The Bible says that God gives us a way of escape. So I want to encourage you tonight. And we're going to pray through this. And I want you to stand at this point. You can stand. Because I know it's been, I can feel the resistance. (laughs) But I just want to encourage you tonight. Dust yourself off in this area. Straighten your shoulders. You're a child of the living God. Don't let Satan bring shame and, and heap all of this stuff on you. Do what with with these verses have said to do. Wash our minds. Cleanse ourselves. We're going to have a time of repentance. But this is what I want you to get from this. Enlarge your view from the day-to-day life and living that we experience in Christ right? Don't don't look at it as, I did this wrong, I did this wrong. Open your mind and say, God, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. These things that may be dealt with or struggle with are not who I am. They're just a, a, a dip in the road that we deal with, that we struggle with. Everybody deals with these types of issues. Don't let Satan put you in a corner and realize that there is forgiveness and there is hope. And this is another aspect. Stay connected to other believers in church, discipleship groups. Do get involved with the bridesmaid aspect of this. Stay encouraged during this time. We just had a meeting this past Sunday and we talked about life groups. It's not just life groups so we can have something for us to do. It's a chance for us to get involved and get interconnected, to get into the guts of what the church is supposed to be about—about about bringing each other up. We're going to be in the ditch sometimes. We need people that we can go to, that we trust, that that we can love on each other with, and we could be encouraged as we see the day approaching. The Bible says in First John three three, everyone who has this hope fixed on him on on Christ purifies himself. Now you may be here and you may may not be a Christian. In other words, you haven't received Christ. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to ask that the Lord would wash and cleanse. And if you have not received him, this is your moment to get connected with Jesus Christ, the one who can save your very soul. And then we're going to pray for those that deal with this. And I'm just going to pray A a grand prayer for all of us to enter in because I'm telling you, there are struggles in this area in different aspects. And we're going to bring all of that before the Lord and walk in his mercy and grace. Amen. Father, we just come in the name of your son, Jesus. And while I lift up those that are here that do not presently know you as Savior. Lord, I'm asking as they repent of their sins. The Bible says that if we repent of our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Father, we bring these people before you and they confess with their mouth that they have sinned, that they've fallen short, and God, that they ask you to receive them into your kingdom. And Father, we thank you right now. We join our faith to give, to, to join with them and believe for the salvation experience and the regeneration of their heart to happen right now. And, Father, we believe, as well as with them, that in our heart that you rose from the dead and you are seated at the right hand of God. And, Father, we thank you right now that we are children of the Most High God. And for those that are here that struggle in this area, Father, we bring all of our issues before you. Lord, we ask you to cleanse us and wash us and give us the grace to move past these issues in our life. Lord, as we desire and we set to fill ourselves up with your presence and your word and your grace. And God, we thank you right now that your mercies are new every day, God. Father, we bring all of our struggles before you. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Satan, we bind you from activity in this area. Father, we ask that you would wash the minds and the hearts of your people. Father, they would walk away from this service tonight knowing that they are fully cleansed, fully washed in the blood of Jesus. And Father, I ask right now that you would help your people walk away from here and make no provisions for the flesh. God, show them ways. Show them the things that are pulling them down and they are taking them off course. And Father, we put all of our faith and all of our trust and the wisdom that you're going to give your people to remove themselves from these situations. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask. And the church said, amen, amen. Well, praise God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I know it was a little awkward, but listen, if you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here. We'd love to pray with you. If not, have a good night.